You're listening to a podcast from Victory. How does the Holy Spirit lead us to set people free from bondage in the name of Jesus? Find out in week three of Behind the Scene. Allow me to just introduce to you one of my favorite teachers in our movement, and his name is Pastor Paul Barker. Okay? Pastor Paul Barker is actually the director of our leadership development of Every Nation Ministries. In fact, his office is actually in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Everybody say Nashville. Nashville, all right? With an accent, okay? Nashville, okay? Make it southern, okay? So his office is in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, but his classroom, since he's a teacher, is around the world. So what he does is he would travel in different continents and different countries, and he would actually be uh, the one teaching and raising up uh, the level of leadership and uh, theology even among the pastors. And so uh, your pastors here in Victoria Alabang are some of the beneficiaries of his ministry. Last, I think a couple of years ago, he would actually spend more time here in the Philippines, maybe about 24 weeks in a, in a year. Now it's about maybe 11, 11 weeks in a year. But, you know, he's done uh, that because he's traveled more than just the Philippines and has visited more regions. And also aside from that, he's also uh, now enjoying his being a grandfather. I call it the apostolic ministry because he's enjoying the apo, okay? You know, I really thoroughly enjoy my time with Pastor Paul every time he would come and teach. Uh, your pastors don't stop learning, okay? We still learn about theology. We still learn about hermeneutics. We, stern, we, we learn about sound doctrine. How many of you appreciate that we preach about sound doctrine in this church, okay? And not any heresy out there, okay? And so Pastor Paul keeps us in check, and, uh, you know, we, we learn a lot from him. And uh, I believe that God will speak to us through him, uh, you know, using the text this uh, this evening, and I want us to all to welcome him with the Victory Alabang welcome, Pastor Paul Parker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great honor to be here. I want you to know that Pastor Ariel was one of my best students. Now, Pastor Sonny, that's another story. <laughs> But he sure was fun to have in the class. It's a great honor for me to be here with you. I love Pastor Ariel. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world. I've been coming to Manila for six years, and there's a lot of people that I admire and look up to, but way up at the top of the food chain is Pastor Ariel. I travel throughout our every nation world, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you my testimony is that this is one of the finest leaders that we have in all of our ministry worldwide. He's great for three reasons. Number one, he's a great leader. I study leadership. That's my job. And, and, I, and I watch and I look and I listen. And he's a leader because he knows where we're going and how to get God's people there and how to develop systems and to manage those systems for growth and for God's purpose and to bring people along with them. And that's a very rare gift and ability. But number two, he is a man of tremendous character and integrity. I'm pretty certain that if you open any dictionary to the word integrity, you'd find a picture of Pastor Ariel <laughs> right there as the perfect example of integrity. 
But number three, and this is my favorite, because I think he just might be the kindest man on the planet. Every time I come back to Manila and he sees me, he greets me with the warmest smile. You know, he's got a million-dollar smile, doesn't he? When he smiles, he makes me feel like I'm the most important person in the world. And he's always wanting to know about my children, my family, how we're doing, how he can care for us. And I so appreciate that. So, Pastor Ariel, thank you for being a great example. Do we love Pastor Ariel? I do. Let me introduce my family to you briefly. This is the Barker clan. Woo! In living color there. It's my wife in the middle. She was with me at the earliest service. That seemed like three weeks ago. That was a long time ago. 11 o'clock this morning. But she had to go back to PAC. She leaves to go back to the States tomorrow. We've been married this last May, 36 strong years. Uh-huh. It's a miracle. <laughs> She's lived with me that long. Okay, on the far left is my baby. That's Jessica. And that's her husband, Barry. Barry and Jessica have been married a little over three years. They actually were married on my wife and I's 33rd wedding anniversary. So we share an anniversary together. And they were campus ministers in Nashville for three years. But in June of this year, they moved to Mumbai, India to be missionaries and to work with our Every Nation Church there, serving the university campuses in Mumbai. Barry is six foot six, and as you can tell from that picture, very white. He really stands out in India, really stands out. But they love him there. Next to Barry and Jess is my youngest son, Joseph, and his wife, Lee. Joseph works for a ministry in the United States called Dave Ramsey. Maybe you're familiar with Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey does a financial ministry in the States. His wife, Lee, works in our Every Nation office, and she's in our partner care department. So she's caring for all of our many financial partners of the ministry. And then, of course, my wife and I, and then just next to my wife is my oldest son, Samuel, Sam has had a graphic design business for the last seven years, and you've probably seen his work if you visited the Every Nation website. That's his company. That's his design work. Every Nation was one of his biggest clients throughout those period of years, and, and finally, after much coercing, they have enticed him into the Every Nation office, and they have just hired him as our graphic designer in our global communications department. So... He is joining us and his wife, Karen, who has been in the Every Nation office for seven years as the director of our 10 days mission experience. And then recently she's transitioned to the executive administrator of our COO. So we're all in the office together. It's a conspiracy. (laughs) The Barkers are trying to take over the Every Nation office. And we were doing a lot better, but we lost Barry and Jess, who worked in our office. And then on the far end, this is my oldest daughter, Katie, and her husband. And up until June, they were also in Nashville, and they were pastors at our Every Nation church there. Her husband, Ernie, is a former professional rugby player from South Africa. Do you know anything about rugby? It's a scary sport. I'm really glad he's on our side. He's a scary man. I'll take him anywhere because I am safe. He could kill you in three seconds. You wouldn't even know what happened to you. He's so strong. 
But the day after Jess and Barry moved to Mumbai, they also moved to Dallas to be pastors at our Every Nation Church there. So in two days, we lost two-thirds of our family. It was a sad day for Mama, that's for sure. I have five grandsons. Woo-hoo-hoo! Oh, yeah! <laughs> uh, that's fantastic, isn't it? Take a good look, because this is the high point of the message right here. It's all downhill after this picture. This is as good as it gets. Well, you look at that picture, and obviously, one child stands out a little bit. <laughs> That's Omalimo. My daughter met her husband when she was working in our AIDS orphanage in South Africa, and Omalimo was one of the first children there, abandoned by his mother who died of AIDS. And Ernie and Kate became foster parents, and then at their first opportunity, they adopted Omalimo. So he's our oldest grandson. That picture's a year old, but he's, he's seven, just turned seven. His, the next Kruger, his brother, is Isaiah there. And next to him in the middle is another Kruger. That's little Ezekiel. But, you know, that's too long of a name, right? So in true Filipino style... We nicknamed him ZZ. We could have just called him Z, but it's so much better just to double it, isn't it? He's ZZ. <laughs> if one is good, twice is even better. And look at that little munchkin next to him. <laughs> that is one cute little fella, I'm telling you. Yeah, his mama is the short one in our family, so he's a... He's a tiny little guy. That's, that's little Griffin. Griffin. And next to him on the end, you see that little boy? That's trouble going somewhere to happen. That's Joshua Jude. Of course, you can't say all that, so we call him JJ. Now, you realize there's something wrong with this picture. It's all boys, but this last January, Katie took care of that. Wow, is that cute? That is just adorable right there. That's little Karen Michelle sporting the outfit that was knitted for her by my wife, her grandmother. My wife is packing to join the Krugers and see those children again. That's little Karen Michelle. So that's number six, and that's one of the reasons it's so hard to keep getting on those planes. <laughs> but we keep going to the world. We are continuing our study here of behind the scenes, and this week it's Jesus the Liberator. Our text is from Acts chapter 16. Luke's writing, he said, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Father, we're grateful to you for your word that you sent to us. Thank you, you're our teacher and our guide, and you didn't just give us a book 
and expect us to figure it out, but you sent the Holy Spirit. He's our teacher and our guide. Holy Spirit, we're looking to you this evening to lead us and guide us into all the truth. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We're talking about the supernatural, and we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural. My first encounter with the supernatural came when I was a relatively young believer. And I was doing a Bible study in my dormitory, and we met on Monday nights at 9.30 p.m., and I had about 30 or 35 people who were attending fairly regularly. And, and there was always new people, people I didn't know, coming each different time. I remember one particular Monday, there was someone who was there, I hadn't seen him before, a new visitor, and it was obvious during the Bible study that he was, uh, he was troubled, something was bothering him, he was uh, agitated and uh, having a difficult time concentrating. I got through the Bible study and talked to a few people, and then he waited and came up to me and told me a little bit of his story and said that he was interested in becoming a Christian. And so it's pretty late at this point, and I didn't want to take him to my dorm room, so our ministry center was very close by. I said, let's walk down there. So we walked down to our ministry center, and uh, at this time it was after midnight, and so I have him in our, our chapel there, and I'm sharing the gospel with him, and then he says he's ready to give his heart to Christ, and so I started to pray for him. And as soon as I started to pray for him, he fell down on the ground on all fours, and started to growl, and this really strange voice started to come out of him saying horrible things. Well, I didn't know what to do, and I'd heard about this kind of stuff. When I was in high school, there was a very popular movie called The Exorcist. <laughs> Everybody went to that except me, because I was terrified. But apparently now I'm in a scene from Exorcist. I don't know what to do. It seems a little scary. So I thought, well, maybe I'll sing. I don't know, it just came to me, <laughs> sing. <laughs> so I started singing all the songs I knew about the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus, but apparently that just made things worse. <laughs> all kinds of terrible things were being said. And then he, he, he got up and started running just frantically in the chapel, and we had these concrete block walls, and he just throw himself up against the wall, and then just get up and just run, and he's screaming and foaming, and I'm just singing <laughs> every song I know. My primary goal at this point is to live. That's all I want. I just want to make it through the day. <laughs> Finally, I guess he just wore himself out, and and so I went over to him and helped him up. And I, I said pretty much the same thing that Paul said here, just because I'd heard people do it before. I, did, I didn't know if it would work or not. But I said it as confident as I could sound, <laughs> hoping for something good to happen. And apparently it worked because he, uh, he got clear-headed. And I led him in a prayer, and he gave his life to Christ that night and was water baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit the next day. And... and I lived. <laughs> my goal was met. That was my first encounter with the supernatural, certainly not my last. We're talking about Jesus the liberator, and we have a text here where Paul encounters a woman who is spiritually tormented and needs a power manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, the series we're looking at, we call it Behind the Scene, which is a pretty creative title, isn't it? I like that. And 
we're looking at the, an examination of how the Holy Spirit works in us to display God's power. And we've chosen the book of Acts, which is a good place because it's really a picture of the Holy Spirit in operation. Uh, if you know a little bit about the background, it's written by this guy named Luke, who also wrote the gospel according to Luke. And this is really, this is part two. When he describes part one, he describes it like this. He says, this is an account of the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, we could call Acts, because it's part two, we could call it, we could say, it's the things Jesus continued to do. But only this time through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the things that Jesus did when he was here on earth, He's still doing today. The only difference is now people are his instrument and the Holy Spirit is the power. So we want to look at how we can be more effective instruments of the Holy Spirit's power. And to do that, I want to examine three case studies in chapter 16. Do you know what a case study is? You heard that phrase, that term before? A case study is a true story that's examined and evaluated because it has teaching content. There's some things we can learn. And Luke strings together three case studies of three individuals who have conversion experience, and all of them experience the Holy Spirit in some way. But all three are very different, and there's a lot we can learn from all three of these case studies, because each one highlights a different manifestation of the Holy Spirit. For example, the first case study in the text is Lydia. Now, Lydia is a spiritually sensitive woman who's open to the Holy Spirit. And to her, the Holy Spirit's power was manifested in a clear presentation of the gospel. The second person that we come across, the case study that I read, is the slave girl, a spiritually tormented girl opposed to the Holy Spirit. To her, the Holy Spirit's power was manifested in a power manifestation of the gospel. The third and final case study is the Roman jailer a spiritually uninterested man, indifferent to the Holy Spirit. To him, the Holy Spirit's power was manifested in a personal demonstration of the gospel. Let's look at those three case studies, okay? The first one, let's look at a power manifestation of the gospel. This is the second one chronologically, but the first one we're going to look at. A power manifestation of the gospel. This is the slave girl. And when we look at her demographic, she's obviously from a very low socioeconomic class. We would call her lower, low class, lower class. She's owned by a consortium of businessmen who are obviously purchasing slaves and then selling them out with their various different gifts and powers and abilities. She is obviously tormented. We don't get anything about her backstory. We don't know how did she get to this place in life. I'm sure if we had the opportunity to talk to her and hear her story, it would be a tragic story. What were the events and the factors that led to this point in her life so tormented and in anguish spiritually? 
And she's a girl who is actually opposed to the Holy Spirit. She's an enemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it doesn't look that way at first glance when you read the text, because remember Luke tells us that she kept following them, and remember what she was saying? She said, first of all, these are servants of the Most High God. Well, sounds pretty accurate, huh? And then she says, they are showing you the way of salvation. Well, sounds like a good advertisement, right? But actually, you understand, you see, the first century, the, the listeners would understand that what's happening is here when she's saying that, she's saying, essentially, these people who are preaching to you, the power that they have is the same power I have. We're together, like. It's not a testimony of the gospel. It's not a good endorsement. It's actually a negative endorsement. Because she's opposed to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You remember this happened in Jesus' ministry. Sometimes the demon-possessed people would run up to Jesus. And don't torment me, Jesus. And, and they had some accurate information about Jesus. But they certainly weren't on his side. She's spiritually tormented. And she's opposed to the gospel. What does she need? She needs a power demonstration. She needs a manifestation of power to get her set free. And you know, there's some people that we meet, that's the only thing that's going to help them. That's the only thing that's going to help them. On May 6, 1953, a young Filipino girl named Clarita Villanueva was arrested on the streets of Manila propositioning an undercover policeman. She was arrested and taken to the Manila City Jail and processed like hundreds and thousands of other people had been before and would later. Nothing extraordinary about her life. Just another prostitute that had come from the provinces and was being arrested. But two nights later, she woke up in the middle of the night screaming, piercing, blood-curdling shrieks that woke up the whole prison. Guards and medical staff began to attend to her. And she claimed that two beings, two monstrous demonic forces were attacking her and biting her. And when the fit was over, the medical inspectors looked at her and there were bite marks all over her body. And on the bite marks, there was actually saliva. Well, they had been there, these examiners, they hadn't seen anything, but there was obvious evidence she wasn't biting herself, something was doing this. This kept happening day after day. They brought doctors and psychiatrists and all sorts of medical professionals to examine what's going on, but nobody had an answer. The press got wind of this and it started to make front page news. Matter of fact, you can still you can access Filipino newspapers from that era and see front page headlines about Clarita and this they were calling it the the newspapers named it the thing. A lot of skeptical people, but they would bring newspaper reporters and, and cameras and medical professionals, and the same thing would happen. Bite marks, terrible bite marks all over her body. Even the skeptics, Dr. Lara was the head of the, he was the chief medical officer at the Manila City Prison at that time. He was a skeptic, but he had no answers for it. He didn't know what was happening. Same time, Lester Sumrall, an American missionary, was in Manila. He'd come and he was trying to build a church, trying to get a permit for his church, actually. And he read the newspaper, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, 
if you go to that prison and pray for her, I will deliver her. He was reluctant at first, if you can imagine, and, but in the end he said yes. He called a friend of his who knew the mayor. He got an appointment with the mayor. And the mayor agreed to let him go pray for Clarita under one condition. He had to sign a waiver that he would not sue the city if he was hurt. Because two people were already dead. One guard who had challenged Clarita and treated her badly, the next day he didn't wake up. Just mysteriously dead. And so Lester Summerall had to sign a waiver saying, I will not sue you if I die. With the newspaper reporters, camera people all around, and the international press, you see, because this has been picked up by the American press, the Asian press in Europe, it was all over the world. With all the cameras and the medical staff, a two-day battle, he was able to, as Paul did, cast the demon out. And the front page of the Filipino newspapers that day, the thing is dead. She was delivered, saved, water baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Lester Summerall is a household name. His picture's all over the paper. And so he got permission to hold a crusade in Rojas Park. And over a month period, 150,000 people were converted and saved in that outreach. I heard Lester Summerall tell the story in September of 1981, and he said, since that time, there's been a continuous revival in the Philippines. That's a power manifestation, and sometimes that's the only thing that's going to help. Any volunteers? <laughs> power manifestation of the gospel. But this is not the only way the Holy Spirit manifests. Our second case study is Lydia. Now, Lydia is a completely different person, and what Lydia needs is a clear presentation of the gospel. Lydia's the opposite of the slave girl. She's upper class. She's an international businesswoman with a consortium operating in various different locations. Very wealthy, respected member of the community, an actual Jewish proselyte, so that even though she's a Gentile, she has converted to Judaism. Something that was much easier for women to do in the first century, obviously, because it didn't require circumcision. That's why there wasn't as many male converts to the Jewish religion. But she had converted. See, she was spiritually sensitive. She was open to the Holy Spirit, but there was an emptiness. She was keeping the rules. She was following the laws, trying to do her best. But something just wasn't there. And the Apostle Paul came that day and told her a simple gospel story. We don't have a record of what he said to her, but we know from other examples in the book of Acts that when Paul had a chance to speak, often the first thing he started with was his testimony. I'm sure he did. He just told her his story. And I bet it resonated within her. Paul, all those years of following the rules and dead religion, and now the dynamic new relationship he had. He just told a story, and then he just gave a simple gospel presentation. And Luke says it, it's so beautiful, he says, And the Lord opened her heart to receive the things that were said by Paul. And she was converted that day, just by a simple story. Not as dramatic, obviously, as the slave girl. There's no fireworks and thunder and lightning, manifestations, but every bit a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power. 
I was raised as a Roman Catholic. My parents were Roman Catholic. Their parents, as far back, my genealogy tree goes back into the 1500s and Roman Catholic all the way back. I went to Roman Catholic grade school and Roman Catholic high school, but I have kind of a skeptical bent of mine. And by the time I was out of high school and going to university, I was a self-professed agnostic, skeptic. I love to go to Bible studies. This is one of my hobbies, go to Christian Bible studies and disrupt them with all my pseudo-intellectual questions. And I have to admit, I was pretty good. (laughs) I knew my stuff better than they did. I'm not the kind of guy you want coming to your victory group. I'm your worst nightmare. But there was one guy in my dorm. He was from a farming community, not a highly educated guy, just normal fella. I would sit in his room and I would try to get him to argue with me. What about this and this and this? He'd just listen and at the end he'd say, I have no idea how to answer your questions. But I know that Jesus Christ loves you and wants to change your life. And that made me so angry. But you know, a few years later when my life fell apart, you know who I went looking for? i got to find Mike. And through just the simple telling of his story, the simple gospel message, now I tell Mike I've gone all around the world teaching the Bible because you were faithful. Just tell that simple story. Never underestimate the miracle power of the simple presentation of the gospel. When you share your story... And when you share his story, the miracle power of the Holy Spirit is doing things we can't see. That's a real manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power. The third and final, and I guess this is my favorite, a personal demonstration of the gospel. Now, I like this guy. This is the Roman jailer, okay? He's different. First of all, this is the first guy in the story. We've had two girls. The first one was lower class, poor, deep poverty. The second one, upper class, very wealthy. The Roman jailer, he's middle class. He's just your average working dude. He was a faithful Roman soldier. They gave him a good job. All he cares about is doing his job well, getting his paycheck, and taking care of his family. Totally uninterested in the gospel, no interest in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't even want to know about these two new prisoners that came in. Preachers, really, I don't even want to know about it. Completely indifferent to the Holy Spirit. All he's concerned about is, I need to make sure these people don't get out. Because you see, if you were a Roman jailer, here was the deal. It's a good paying job, but if a prisoner escaped on your watch, whatever that prisoner was guilty of, you had to be sentenced for that crime. And so Paul and Silas come in, they've been beaten with rods. I mean, their backs are bloody and they need medical attention and care. But he doesn't care about any of that. All he's thinking about is himself and he wants to make sure these two prisoners don't get out. So he doesn't put them in the regular prison. Luke says he puts them in the inner prison. That's the dungeon. That's the place you do not want to go. I've been to some of the castles in Europe and I've seen the dungeons with the torture chamber and you do not want to be there but that's where they got thrown into it's dark it's cold it's damp 
it's vermin infested. And to make matters worse, just to make sure they don't get out, this jailer puts their legs in the stocks. Now this is an instrument of torture. It can be mild or it can be extreme, depending on what the jailer wants to do. He doesn't take care of them, doesn't attend to them medically. He's harsh. All he cares about is himself. Later that night, Paul and Silas, how do you think they're feeling? What would you be doing? If I was Silas, I'd be complaining about Paul who got me in this mess. You always blame the leader when something goes wrong, don't you? But what were they doing? They were praying and singing songs to God. And the Bible tells us an earthquake came. It was a weird earthquake. It just opened their shackles and their chains. Now, the jailer is awakened. Of course, you know, that's what happens when earthquakes come. You wake up. And he knew. The earthquakes come. They're free. They've run away. There's no way, especially those two guys I treated so bad. There's no way they're staying. And so there's only one thing to do because he knows it's, he's going to be executed. And you had two choices. You see, as a Roman, if he went to trial, he would be executed, but it would bring shame to him and his family. But the other option is you could take your own life, and that was the heroes. If he, if he took his life, he would have honor as doing his duty. And so he gets his sword, and he's about to fall on it. And the Apostle Paul calls, wait, and he can't believe there's voices. What do you, you mean you didn't leave? You see, he can't understand Paul, who would think about this jailer and not his own needs. Do you know what he encounters? A simple act of kindness. That for the jailer does what a testimony of the gospel couldn't do. What a miracle couldn't do. This simple demonstration of kindness cuts him to the heart. And he runs in and the Bible says he's shaking. And he falls on his knees and he says, what must I do to be saved? What broke this man? Simple act of kindness. That is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. My friend Joseph Bonifacio told me a story this week. You know, Joseph, he's the director of our Every Nation campus in the Philippines. He hired a driver last year, and he hired a person who works, or who's a member of a large cult here in the Philippines, and, and I think everybody would know the name. And he hired this guy because he knew, even though he's in the cult, he knew because he's in that cult, he'll be on time. Very regimented and strict, and so he knew he could count on him, so he hired this guy. He tried to preach to him, of course, engage him in the gospel, and Joseph's a pretty persuasive fellow, but wouldn't listen, wouldn't respond. And Joseph would tell miracle stories about power, but nothing was having any effect. But then the driver's son got sick. And Joseph and Carla had a nebulizer that they'd used for their son, too expensive for the driver to afford, so they just gave it to him. And when they set that up, their son recovered. And you know, that simple act of kindness, the day after his son got better, that next day the driver got in the car and said, I want to know about Jesus. And Joseph led him to Christ. Not with a presentation of the gospel, that wasn't working. Miracles, that wasn't working. What did it take? A simple act of kindness. That's a real manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And you see, that changed his life. But isn't this a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
all three of these, we see Jesus through His life and death gives us a clear presentation of the Gospel. And then through His victory on the cross, power manifestation of the Gospel, He breaks the power of the enemy. But then, and I love this one the most, a personal demonstration, the greatest act of kindness in history, when the Son of God goes to the cross, takes our sins upon His body, so that we might know His forgiveness. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's agonizing about going to the cross. And the main thing we think about is the physical pain and torture of a cross. And if you've read an account of a first century crucifixion, it's just a, a horrible way to die. But you know, it wasn't the physical pain. Because when Jesus was on the cross, He didn't say, my hands, my hands. Did He? Or, my head, my head, because of the nails or the crown of thorns. What did He say? My God, my God. It wasn't the physical pain. It was a separation from His Father. That's what He could not bear to have to endure. But it's that act of kindness that purchases our salvation. And now Jesus is calling us to enlist in His army to do His work on the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you already signed up? Have you already enlisted? Should we re-enlist again tonight? Let's just re-enlist. Jesus, we are signing up to be your instrument for the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us in a clear presentation of the Gospel, a power manifestation of the Gospel, and a personal demonstration of the Gospel. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserved, in order to take our place and give us the life we don't deserve. Thank you that his death destroyed the power of the devil. Lord, we're eternally grateful for the greatest act of kindness in history. Now, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we accept the task of displaying to the world your power through a clear presentation, a power manifestation, and a personal demonstration of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more messages like these from other Victory Centers, please visit victory.org.ph slash resources slash podcasts.